Scene on Screen podcast presents Three Men and a Meeple. Are you interested in playing games that don't appear on the screen? Well, that's why we're here. Join David, Sean, and Owen while they talk about all things tabletop. Now pass the dice, because our next turn starts now. Welcome, welcome to another exciting and thrilling adventure with the Three Men and a Meeple team. You've got myself, David... Yo. Wow, he's uh he's really quiet today. He's a, he's a little docile. And our returning to his former glory good friend Owen. Hey. Know, is he a, is he a good friend yet? Uh did we did we uh give him his status back as a good friend or is he just our friend Owen? I think he's just Owen still. I haven't okay. been anointed, anointed. I haven't well, been, no, he, no. We got to have a little uh an, an anointment ceremony. Yeah, you yep. read robes and candles. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some trumpets. <laughs> that would be that would be glorious. Uh, yeah, no, you know what? It's good to be back. Glad to be here. Did, An- another you, week. You another make week. it sound like we were like testing the waters to see if we needed a new Owen. I did see a posting on uh, <laughs> on like Craigslist for like uh, a uh, a host for a board game podcast, and I was like, oh, I better. <laughs> you have to have a name, Owen, because <laughs> yeah. Very, very specific. And I was like, uh-oh, this is bad news. We already recorded the intro. There was just no, what are you doing over there? Are you playing games? I just dropped something. Because you're about to die. So uh, uh, welcome, guys. We we have a, a super exciting ec- episode. Um, doing Lords of Waterdeep this week uh, as our showcase episode with our companion episode coming up on YouTube at the same time. So watch along, see who possibly wins, see who possibly loses. And just enjoy yourself and play games with us because that's what yeah, we like. There's there's a, something special about this showcase episode, especially the one on YouTube, is because we have a nice fancy layout for uh, the gameplay, and you get to see everyone's beautiful faces. It looks pretty good. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the other special thing that happened in that uh, that showcase episode, but I guess we won't talk about that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Don't know. I don't know either. What the oh, you're already what's doing happening? this already? What, what's happening? <laughs> Just dropping it. Just drop it. For all of you guys wondering, and I teased it in the last episode of the Scene on Screen podcast, I currently weareth the crown for the showcase episodes on my head. Yeah, and next episode we're going to be talking about how to deal with cocky players. <laughs> yeah, you got to deal with the the you, poor winners. Yeah, there. that's what it's called. Look, you're you're being a poor winner. I'm only being a poor winner because in our last episode, David said I was being cocky, and all I wanted to do was create a cool interactive tracker like you see on other websites and YouTube's, and just for the fans at home who want to know who's the best. How, well, I, I won't be the best at all games. I know this. And there's going to be games where David's going to kick everybody's ass. There's going to be games where Owen takes us to the cleaners twice before we even realize what happened. But that's the plan. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's my goal. I, but it's I'm not going to be bet, Dark Moon for you, Owen. You're <laughs> I, I'm willing to bet as we progress through these games in our showcases, which we have lots planned for you guys, maybe some of our special guests might get a win or two. Who knows? It's unlikely. And if they do, they won't be a guest anymore. That's right. <laughs> they get one shot to lose. 
Yeah. yeah if, if you don't lose, you're done. Yeah. So yeah. before we talk about Lords, have you guys played anything else that you, uh, you want to talk about this week or do you want to jump right into it? I no, didn't. I didn't play anything, but I bought a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> um, no, I played uh, Terraforming Mars uh, last night, um, and I, I did probably the worst I've ever done playing Terraforming Mars. I think I ended up with like 30-something like victory points at the end, and the next high, like the, the top person was in like the 80s. So I was like, this is just pathetic. Hmm. Yeah. How about you, David? What did you buy? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I bought some old things, actually. Okay. <laughs> I got a game called Ship Shape. And uh, you're pirates and you are having to bring back different loot or something like that. I don't know. It's the late 17th century. Mighty ships sailed the seas and brought all manner of goods back to port. As a savvy captain, you must skillfully use your crew to fill your ship's hold with the best combination of treasure, cannons, and ahem other items to earn gold in the end the player who amasses the biggest bounty will be declared the greatest sea captain of all times they actually have smuggler written there but uh that's crossed out in the Uh. so pick that one up uh i picked up shadows amsterdam uh this is a i don't know there's like a a crime that was committed and everyone has uh hidden i don't know it's got like hidden in information from everyone it's a uh, i don't know a little cool cool little game i found for like ten dollars nice which is sweet yeah good deals um and i'm oh, where'd super go? excited <laughs> for this one uh it's the downfall of pompeii or pompeii i don't pompeii. know pompeii uh this yep. game came out in like i don't know 2013 Something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an older game. And essentially, uh, you are in the town of or the city of Pompeii and the large uh, volcano has has uh, erupted and you have to get everyone out of the town to Damn. safety. Um, and pretty much there's only one song that can be played in the background while you're playing this game. Is it Pompeii by the steel? <laughs> that is that is correct. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, and I picked up uh, some Keyforge stuff. Oh yeah, uh, they they had that at. Um, did you go to LA Moods? Yeah, that's where I went. Oh yeah, because I was gonna pick up some Keyforge stuff, and I was like, you know what? No, I don't like this game. I'm not gonna. Really? Play it. Have you not played it? I have played it. I played it a bunch, and it's just such a swingy, weird game. I'm just yeah. not a huge fan. I have a. I bought like the two player starter deck of like the second, like the oh, second. The second really? Yeah, the second. Uh, I got that for like twelve dollars. Yeah, it was crazy good deals. And then uh, I bought like uh, the premium box for for Worlds Collide because it uh, comes with a nice little box that everything fits in nicely. So I'm just going to convert everything into there so I have a nice little carrying case for things. Yeah, my my sister and her boyfriend like to play that game. So oh, cool. All right, well, yeah. Let me know if you want to play. I'll 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 do a, a game or two with you. Yeah, that's a interesting game. I don't know. It's uh, it's unlike other card games where you buy your deck and that deck is unique. No other deck in the world is like it, and that that's it. Yeah, like you so have to yeah. play with it. FFG went on this tangent and they're like, you know what we're gonna do? Instead of deck building, we're just gonna give you a deck, and that's the deck you got. We're not gonna let you rearrange it or anything like that. No. <laughs> so 
And then yeah. they started doing that with board games. With the um, oh god, what was the name of it? Discover Land. Discover Land. Yeah, so I have that like, game. Yeah, me too. I bought a copy and I got through a little bit of it. And it's not also not a great game. They like they started making these games that just weren't that good based off this like random mechanic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, cool thing about KeyForge is the 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 first edition or the some of the first releases uh so the names of the cards are like randomly generated oh they're hilarious. like the packs so some of the first ones were um unintentionally racist or yeah, so got banned <laughs> because they were just offensive or very offensive so it was really funny oh so God. those decks are are really rare and they're really expensive if you can find them just because they uh yeah so you'll you'll have to look those up if uh you want to see what yeah. I'm talking about. But. One thing I do like about Keyforge is the artwork. They did a great job with the art mm. and like the theme. It's just like the mechanics are just super swingy. I don't like that you can't deck build. Like I, That's what I love about those games is like building decks. And mm-hmm. One cool thing I found out about that the other day when I was looking into it a little more is so you can register your decks online. Mm-hmm. And um, if you play in tournaments, if you keep winning with a deck, like it will level up essentially. And then oh, yeah. eventually that deck, um, you won't be able to play it in really? tournaments anymore. Yeah. That's interesting. Which is kind of cool because it means like, okay, this deck is so good that, um, or it's won so many games that now it it is now not banned, but it but is not legal for tournament play. Yeah. It's too OP to, to be in tournaments. Yeah, which is kind of a cool mechanic that they put into because all of the decks come uh, randomly generated so yeah and like really like what does a deck cost like if you're to buy one new at a store that's not on sale it's like what 12 bucks like they're not if, expensive if that yeah so not but bad. uh we're here to uh talk about something that is a little older today um with adventures that happened in a land far far away in the forgotten realms universe or Dungeons and Dragons, for those who don't know. That's right. We're talking about Lords of Waterdeep, or as uh, Sean has been calling it for the longest time, Lords of the Waterdeep. That's, That's because a- we were playing Betrayal at House on the Haunted Hill. Oh, yeah. Something crazy. Yeah. yeah. Now, whenever I think of Lords of Waterdeep, now I think of it as Lords of the Waterdeep. Thanks a lot, Sean. Yeah. Sorry. It doesn't make any sense because it's the town, it's the city of Waterdeep. So, anyways, uh, Lords of Waterdeep is a game that came out in 2013 or 2012. Yeah, yeah 2012. Published in 20, uh, 2012. Um, it is a Euro-style game. So um, generally Euro games, we, we discussed these types of things in, uh, I think it was our second episode mm-hmm. of uh, Three Minute Meeple. Uh, Euro games generally have less player interaction, but you uh, you're interacting with each other on the board and less interaction with people individually. Um, So this is a worker placement game where there are locations. uh, Well, the main board has the town of, or the city of Waterdeep, and there are some basic locations. uh, And then players have their, what are they called? Um, Well, um, a faction. Each player plays as a specific faction, so they're just different yeah. colored. Um, well, we got we got like the city guard. I'm looking at them right now. The silver stars. We got the red sashes. The knights of the shield. The harpers. 
So yeah. those are the factions. And the gray hands. Oh, the gray hands. Can't forget about the gray hands. Yeah. yeah that's, that seems like the most illegitimate one, but go on. <laughs> so uh, players have their agents. So depending on how many people are playing the game, you start off with a certain number of agents. These are people that you send out into the town of Waterdeep, and they collect things for you. So uh, different... Um, well, like classes, like right? Classes, like, yeah. So they're fighters, like mages, rogues, and clerics. Clerics is what yeah. you're looking for. Um, or you can collect money to build buildings. Um, and buildings are unique in the sense that if someone builds it, anytime someone goes there, the person who built it uh, earns something. Um, so, it, and then there's quests that uh people are completing using their uh the the people that they the gather people that they gather yeah. yeah i keep wanting to call them agents but they're not technically agents the agents are the ones that you send out in to collect stuff but um so then ultimately the goal is to complete as many um quests, quests mm-hmm. as you can to have the highest number of victory points at the end of the game so you also get victory points for building uh, buildings and then you get victory points also for like the amount of gold and the amount of um, like people in your tavern uh, at the end of the game but for the main goal in it is uh, to complete as many quests as you can um the that's like the basic yeah that's just how the overview of how the game is that's one thing I love about this game is it's so like that is the game. Like, you know, it, you could explain this game and teach this game in pretty much no time at all because it's that simple. Like, well, like the other day uh, or the other week when Sean and I were having our little adventure in shopping, um, I ended up bringing this game over because we had played it on tabletop simulator a few times, but he was interested in playing the actual physical game. And I think the, uh, the experience that people have playing it digitally versus physically at the table um, are, is slightly different. Yes. Um, but I explained it to your significant other in about 10 minutes. Yeah. And uh, she figured tough. it out and she ended up playing a very uh, strategic game with us. Like it's such an easy game to, to pick up and play. And I think this is also a great uh, like gateway game into like yeah new mo- some, more modern games yeah because there are lots of amazing worker placement games in and if you get this to the table and you explain it you know in a short amount of time and you get somebody rolling with it quickly and they have a good time with it you're gonna say oh hey we should try out this worker placement game it's you know a lot like this last game but it has mm-hmm. these, a few different mechanics and it's a really great time and then you can kind of work that way getting people another person like into the hobby yeah the uh the one thing I really like about this game is that there's no dice. Yeah. Dice. Uh, a lot of worker placement games don't necessarily have dice unless they have some sort of like randomness to there. But I think a lot of the randomness in this game is based off of other people's actions. Yeah. Right? I, I got screwed over so hard the last few games just from people blocking what I wanted to do. I was like, well, I need, I need two clerics or I need a cleric. So, you know, on my turn, I'm going to, send my agent to wherever it is on the board to get a cleric. But guess what? Sean put his thing on the cleric. So now I can't do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So like, it's that's, always about me. Yeah. Well, that's what you <laughs> would do. You would do that. Well, 
yeah, that's like, okay. So for, for a little bit of context, cause obviously you'd have to watch the gameplay video to understand, um, a lot of what you're trying to collect is very much luck of the draw of what cards are showing up in the game. Mm. I know this game was very mm. heavily focused on, um, we actually had a lot of access to purple, which is, I can't remember what they're called. Wizards. Rogues Rogues are black. Uh, Yeah, you're right. Wizards are purple. There was a ton of uh, arcana like quests, to finish so purple was the hot commodity but the game that we played what five days prior purple was like hard to even come Mm -hmm. by right so when you when you're looking at like owen's predicament in this situation if it was only rogues that he was trying to get there's only one dedicated spot on the board where you can pick up two rogues per turn right now if you were fortunate like myself i had a plot quest that gave me a rogue every time I completed a rogue task. So I, I was farming whereas oh, oh, yeah. was struggling to get mm-hmm. one at a time, unless he landed on one of, I think it was two spots that giveth. Yeah. Like, so the only other place I could, have got it is from a building tile, but there wasn't any building tiles that like provided, uh, rogues or anything like that. So I was, I was, I was out of luck. The only way I could have got them is if I stole the first player token. But again, then, I'm out an agent just for doing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm behind an action. Uh, and um, Sean had mentioned like arcana quests and stuff like that. That's something that I forgot to mention. There's so the quests have different uh, types. So at the start of the game, everyone be- gets a Lord card. So your Delta random card. Uh, and that is essentially who you're playing as. This is hidden information because each Lord will give you bonus points based off of um, completing a certain type of quest at the end of the game. So one of them might want you to finish Skullduggery and and Warfare quests. And for everyone that you complete, you get an f- extra four victory points. Another one might be Arcana and Piety, right? Uh, so these Lord's cards, um, right off the bat, give you a, a goal. Like right. uh, you want to capitalize aside from, on that. Yeah. Aside from just trying to get as many victory points, it's now giving you something to focus on. Um, oh, yeah. Cause I think at the end of the game, the last one we played, I think, well, usually if you're playing to your Lord's advantage, so just say they, they, they say on the card, you get four victory points per arcana quest you complete at the end of the game and you complete five, that's 20 victory points. Like that's a swing at the end. Mm-hmm. And um, th- there is one lord which I absolutely hate, and I think it's the worst one. Um, it's you get, and now you do get more victory points for it. You get six victory points for every building that you own. But um, knowing that that lord is in the game, it's pretty obvious to find out if someone has that one because they'll be trying to buy buildings as much as they can. Um. That one actually screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, that one screwed me over um, when Sean and I were playing because um, unless you have a lot of money, then you can't be buying a lot of buildings, right? Like you essentially get one building per turn uh, if no one else goes there. So you really have to be first player in order to be able to get a building right away. Otherwise, someone else goes there and then you're you're screwed. So. Um, I think that's the weakest of the lords. 
Yeah, but again, if you're able to hold on to that um, first player token, but the only other problem is that you, you need money, you know, right? They're expensive. They cost like exactly. I think the lowest cost is three. The highest cost is eight. Yeah. So you always have to have a constant flow of money coming in and you need to hold on to that first player token or have the events that let you just buy them. Because I think there's a few intrigue cards that let you just, oh, hey, I want this one. And you just buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So and, that and one's you, you mentioned intrigue cards as well. This is another aspect of the game. Um, so everyone has, so quests are open information. So all quest cards that people have, they are played face up at their um, their play area. So anyone can see what they have in their hands and what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish. This is really good for if you're trying to prevent, say, Owen from getting clerics, right? You can know that he has to have, or or right. you can see that oh, you have one cleric, you need one more. I'm going to play an intrigue card that's going to make you have to do something or you're going to get rid of your cleric, right? Yeah, you're going to either like make me lose a cleric or you're going to take the spot that you know, exactly. will give me a cleric, yeah. So intrigue cards are are uh, like secret hand so you don't show them to anyone until you play them so you can play them at uh water deep harbor and it, it's this is an interesting mechanic because this essentially allows you to play a card to do something uh and then at the end of the round you get to reassign your agent there so you essentially get two actions per one agent right um so some intrigue cards will make you will, will give you an item of your choice. Some of them will make people have to give up a uh, a, a cube or whatever, a colored cube, a cleric, wizard, something. Uh, and if they don't, then you get victory points or money or whatever. Um, some of them allow you to get items and then you can give items to someone. Uh, and then there's also mandatory quests. Oof, which yeah, are, don't, are don't really <laughs> so really upset. easy quests to complete. A lot of the times it just requires one or two uh, colors of uh, cube things. Um, what are they called? Oh, God. What would you call that? Like, uh, the, According to the wiki, they are just called wooden cubes. Uh, well, no, but in the really? rule book, there's actually... Uh, Here, they, they're called something... I'll find out. Yeah. Um, Anyways, so um, mandatory mandatory quests are, like I said, simple quests that you give to another player, but they have to complete it before they can complete any other quests. Yeah, and that so, screwed me over big time. <laughs> Many times. Like, it, yeah. you don't realize how, how mean they are until somebody plays one on you, right? When you're about to play something big and you're like, oh, crap, now I got to... They're called adventurers, by the way. You got to spend oh, that's it. Adventures. three adventurers on this thing that, that's going to totally block you from doing what you want to do. So mm-hmm. they are pretty crippling. And like when I first started playing this game, and I for a long time I played it completely wrong, where you would like send somebody to Waterdeep Harbor, you would play your intrigue card, and then you wouldn't reassign it. <laughs> so yeah. for a long time, we just didn't play intrigue cards because we we're like, what's the point? Like this is such, I don't know, like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not worth it. But now, yeah. So yeah. with with playing agents to Waterdeep Harbor, it's uh, ordered. So one, two, and three. So in the order that agents are placed there, those are reassigned in that same order. So um, 
you can really use it to your advantage if you're playing cards correctly, right? So if you were play a mandatory quest on someone and which required them to use a cleric, a, a white cube, um, and they only had one, but they, they needed one to complete another quest, right? Well, you could make them do that so that they give up their, their cleric and then you know that they're going to have to go to um, the location to get another cleric for that, right? So you can then, uh, if if they have no more moves, say that they are second or third place in uh, reassignment order from Waterdeep Harbor, you could then reassign your agent to the location to get the cleric and then you completely block them from doing stuff. So there's a lot of strategy involved in just using uh, intrigue cards and uh, playing agents at Waterdeep Harbor. Yeah, I know playing with you guys, I've I've seen you guys use intrigue cards in very interesting ways, ways that like I haven't used it before. And I remember the one game uh, where we were using, well, I think we were using intrigue cards kind of like a barter ship. There was like the one that was like, you get two adventurers and you give an adventure to somebody else. And we we're kind of using that as like, oh, hey, if you like, don't go here i'll give you this you know yeah i don't like playing like that now. i i like that i think it's kind of it, it makes it uh a bit more interactive you know a bit more um uh kind of not backstabby but i don't know it, i find that interesting yeah the um the cool thing about intrigue cards too and i'm glad you brought it up owen when it comes to um how we were using them like i remember it was either this game or the the game prior i would like really look around the board it was actually the game that we played with uh owen's other half um i would constantly look around the board to see like if it was like i gained two wizards but for anybody who doesn't have a wizard i gained something else or i gain a coin or i gain this mm-hmm. or i gain that so there were there are some coin or cards that make sense much like in say Catan, where you you drop a card to collect a bunch of resources. There are some cards in this game that if you can use a resource at the right time and you know people don't have what you're looking for, you can actually benefit in a different way. I think there's one where it's like if they don't if they can't supply, you get a victory point, but there's other ones where if they can supply and they're willing to give you like let's say a wizard, they mm-hmm. can get 5 victory points or something like that. So it's a it's definitely very interesting like i think those cards control most of the game and you want to use one every you want to use at least eight yeah and the fact that you can reassign after so like yeah you use your entry card and then you reassign to say like a spot that will give you gold or you know um yeah there's just so much so much deep strategy there and that's another thing about this game is it's light it, it's it's as deep strategy as you make it like you can play this game surface level or you can really dig into it and there's tons of strategy yeah you, you become a paranoid gamer though like i know although we were joking around while we were recording the showcase the entire game we thought david was up to something because he was just like completing quests and he was dropping all these like intrigue cards we never really knew what he was up to. And then the last turn, I think you took two of the three spots at the harbor, right? Or maybe all three. I can't remember. I took uh, two like, of them. Yeah, and, it's two or three. And I thought for sure you had like a massive swing coming because like we were watching you all game and then you went quiet. Then you like started picking it up again. And I, I think that's a really cool element to this game 
because it's not just your poker face. You have to make moves based on what you're trying to complete in your hand. You have to make moves based on what the others have on a, like around you because you don't know what others can complete. Maybe if you give up a spot, somebody else could take it. And you also have to make those strategic moves based on your end game result. And we've seen it now a few times in our games where like the swing at the end of the game makes one and two a really, really close race. Yeah, I find that most of the time this game is pretty close as well. Like, I think, you know, there's always like for most of the games we've played, we've all been, I'd say, like within, you know, 10, 10 some odd victory points of each other. At, at like at least some point i know uh, we've all had those big swings at the end where we kind of like take off but you know usually in the game you're, you're kind of in a pack together trying to like uh out, you know pace the other person yeah and and that just kind of shows how i play the game though um <laughs> you just read my mind sean is very uh, you you want to figure out what everyone's up to uh and you want to kind of from what from what i've seen in the last four times that we play this you want to try and control the board by controlling what people can do um me i play i'm i'm fairly quiet i can i i analyze what people are doing i look at what my goals are right uh and then i see what i need to do to accomplish it um a lot of the times when I'm playing this game, I'm trying to think of three possible moves that will help me succeed in what I need to do, whether it be uh, completing a quest or um, buying a building or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, is, is you can have a, a goal of, okay, I need to get four gold, right? And that's a location that you can go to. But someone could go there, unless you're first player, unless you're second player, the odds of you getting that get substantially less and less right. because all it takes is someone to go there. And now you're like, okay, now what do I got to do? Right? So when I play this game, I think of, okay, well, if I need this thing, I need this thing and I need this thing. So that gives me multiple options of what I can work to accomplish. Uh, but then at the same time, I have to see what everyone else is kind of doing. Um, I don't like to assume what people are doing because the thing is, is this game, it, it can change so quickly with what people are doing, um, what they have and what they, what they eventually accomplish. Right. And what's available to like, what quests are available to take and complete as well. Right. So that's another thing. The, uh, the you can collect new quests by going to, uh, what is it? Waterdeep Inn or something like that. Yeah. Um, and there's three locations. So three people in a single round can get a new quest. Uh, the first location, you'll get a quest card from the four um, available options and two gold. Uh, another option is to get a quest card and an intrigue card. And then the third option, which I think is the least used, um, it clears all of the quests that have been drawn and then draws four new ones so that's really only good is if you need a new quest and you don't like or can't do any of the ones that uh are there 
Or um, if you see somebody who's like eyeing one of them and you know it's in their wheelhouse, and you can be like, "All right, I'm gonna trash all these, so you can't have that." Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. We that only happened in the four games we've played. David did that once, and that was the first game I played with you guys. And oh, where he like trashed all the cards. There, there mm. was. I can't remember the entire reason behind it, but I, I didn't remember like any of them. No, it was. I think it was. Either it was something Owen was sitting on and David was like, ha now you can't get this. And he got rid of it. I think you were trying to collect something and David figured it out. Oh, maybe I was still Probably like one of those like 25 victory point <laughs> cards so sitting there. That, and I was like, that, I was going to ask David because like, I know everybody has like different strategies to play, but David and I got on the same wavelength at one point and a spot opened up on the board. And both David and I didn't think it through when we took our turn. And then we're like, oh shit, what if Owen does this? And both of us like had that pause and we can't see each other because, well, we could because we were playing on webcam, but it was like one of those like, oh my God, I hope he doesn't do that. And I'm seeing that. And I'm also seeing the second spot on the board where I was like, Okay, if Owen does that, I really hope David doesn't do that because I needed to collect like six or seven coins right away to try and finish a, a bigger quest. And it's like it's it's wild to see when the the board lines up and people are working together but against each other at the same time with the common goal of like, oh my god, I think I think you were trying to collect what are they fighters orange. Um, yeah, Owen needed some of those, but then he also needed s- something else. And at the time, that was a there was a building that was built, and some of these buildings that you can place, um, they you, you put uh, two of a specific colored what are they called, Owen? Adventures, adventures on there and every round if no one's gone there you put two more on there so after three rounds there could be six of six fighters or six clerics on there right right so i know that owen needed um some fighters to complete a stupid oh the, like massive quest, like, like 25 anything. point yeah. quest yeah. Um, and but you also needed money for something like that or whatever uh and you were going right before me and you went somewhere else, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you missed this. Uh, and so I went and got those six fighters because the strategy changes about, I would say, round six. So there's the, in the game, there's eight rounds total. Mm-hmm. So the, I would say the first six rounds, the first five rounds, you know, you're, you're just trying to com- collect as many adventurers and complete as many quests as you possibly can. But then things need to change a little bit around round six or seven because that's not enough time a lot of the times to complete a lot of quests um so then it turns into for me specifically this is how i usually play i'm giving away all my secrets Good. Um, you want to collect as many adventurers and as much money as you can Right. Because final scoring, each adventurer in your tavern is worth one victory point, and for every two gold that you have, that's worth two. Vi- or sorry, for every two gold, it's worth one victory point. So if you see an easy quest that's in in um, the Water Deep Inn that gives you say like five victory points, and it's in your your lord's kind of like wheelhouse, say like it's an arcane, and your lord scores off arcane, would you? 
would you like take the time to get that instead of getting the the points off of the adventurers? It de- it depends. So if the number of adventurers required to complete that quest is less than what I would get, um, sorry, if the the victory points for completing that quest is less than what I would get for the total number of adventures in my mm-hmm. tavern, then no, I wouldn't. Right. So you're right? just because you could still, you could have a quest that requires say four adventures and two gold. Well, there's five victory points that you're losing just for that one. And it might be, uh, it might be like a, a four victory point thing because it might be uh, like something like that's really easy. Like that generally is going to give you long term that, um, benefits because they would be a, a plot quest, which are some of these quests are considered or called plot quests. So once you complete them, they are always active and you get something from that. So I had one that was every time I get a wizard or a cleric or something like that, I also got a uh, an intrigue card. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. You had right? so That's many. Right. I had so many of those. Right. Um, nice. But yeah, like I'd say round seven or eight, it turns into uh, you have to kind of decide whether or not completing that quest is is going to get you more points than uh, you would get if you right. just submitted all your gold and your adventures. So I think at the end of the last game, you had 10 points in gold and like another like 20 points in adventures. I had like 22 points in adventures and it was like uh, it was... Yeah, ten points for gold. So, um, so that's a pretty big swing. Like at at the end of the game, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I had enough. I didn't complete as many quests as you guys did. Right. Um, yeah, I had some meaningless quests though. Like I was, I I think I kept completing Skullduggery even though I didn't have to, just because they were super viable and easy to complete. So I was picking up like the the empty calorie victory points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what I do as well. Like early game, I look for those ones that are very easy to complete and you look for those plot quests and you just try to do them like as fast as you can. Just try to get your your points up as much as possible. Also with the buildings, uh, since you do get victory points off buildings, usually it's just a couple, but still like it's a nice month of that last game. I started out pretty strong in buildings. I think I built the first two mm-hmm. and I got like a few victory points off of those. And then, yeah, so the, the victory points, in case people were wondering, the victory points that you get for buildings isn't scored at the end of the game. You actually get them when you build them. So each round, um, there are three victory point tokens that uh, are placed on one of the three building options. So when someone builds a building, they get to take that victory point. Well, then now there's two buildings there that were not purchased. So in the next round, those are worth two victory points. So by round seven, you know, there could be a building that no one has ever purchased. And if someone buys that, that's worth seven victory points. So that could be an easy win for them too, right? Like if it was a $3 building, you know, you could get seven victory points for that. So in that case, right, it would make more sense to go there and spend the three gold to get the seven victory points because that's more victory points than you would get with those three gold. Yeah, that like that's highly unlikely. If someone's gonna sleep on that three gold, I don't know. We know. had some that were like five. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but like I find that later in the, well, not even later in the game, but like mid game, like you're starved for gold. At least I was. I wasn't. 
You, yeah, yeah you I was pretty paused. flushed. I don't know why you guys weren't buying more buildings. I'd be there every every turn. Just yeah, because you were there every turn, so we couldn't. Yeah, I it was, was there every turn. like for me anyway. <laughs> I was looking at how fast I could accumulate gold and complete quests, and almost like I drained my account in round six and seven because. I, I got really lucky and David went for those fighters opposed to the eight gold sitting on that one building. So oh, I was able to right. clean that out. Then I did. Because um, eight gold was only worth four points at the end of the game. Yes. And that eight gold to me was worth 25 immediate points. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. See, like, so that, that just kind of goes to show the, the different strategies, right? Because um, those, I was just trying to accumulate gold so that i could get a few points i knew that i was not going to win like i was coming nowhere close you guys were i think i was at what like 55 points you guys had already broken 100 so there was no way in hell that i was going to win so all i could do is just get as much as i can at the end of the game to uh try and get a few more extra points right but um sean you're play a very strategic like mental game i find when we were playing like, yeah he I just think, chirps people the whole time i don't know if it's chirping but <laughs> I, I like, was pretty quiet that game mainly because no, we no you were not no, no like, you were not you're pretty good at like misdirecting people and like very subtly like suggesting you know places to go and stuff but i'm on to you the um it, it's funny because when I like each game I've gone into completely differently and my favorite game is still the game I played with uh, David and my significant other because David picked it up in round two and he was like, you've got that fucking Lord. And I had to fight through that entire game and completely change my game. What? Two, three rounds in, in a three player game where, where like he was actively table talking and be like, no, make sure you are putting your thing there so Sean can't keep building. Oh, but then like eventually people like had to make their moves based on what they needed, not what and like I, I think that's the biggest piece to my strategy, which I'll spoil for the world, I guess, is fifty percent of the game is looking at what I need, but the other fifty percent is like if I deter you and I waste a turn to deter you, what am I getting in return from it? Because if there's no immediate return and I'm burning a turn trying to pick up like, Oh yeah, cool. I've picked up the robber and I have, uh, I've just picked up an intrigue card, but if that's my last turn, I can't burn the intrigue card at the Harbor until the next round. And that intrigue card might not even be a good intrigue card. So, it's about 50 50 the way I play. Like I try and keep an eye on everything going on, but I also try very hard to, to stick to my plan and try and keep my plan engaged to about the 50% mark. As David said, like round six is where you have to make a lot of do or die decisions based on your mm-hmm. end game results. Yeah. So you're good at like reading the table and, and, and seeing what everybody else is doing and, and making plays based off of that. It's That's, easier to read the table as well when you're playing it on tabletop simulator or other digital because you can go and you know pan the camera over to their cards and check them out. It's a yeah. little harder when you're sitting at a table. You're like looking over it, their shoulder. You're, you're trying to like look over at the end of the because the the game board is pretty big. It's a pretty sizable yeah. board. 
Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, give me your cards for a sec. I want to look through them. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like I know David loves Catan. Oh, uh, so much. That's all he talks about. When, when you play a game like Catan or Lords, the one thing you're constantly doing, even if you're doing it subconsciously, is you're counting based off of information that you know. So in Lord's case, and like when we were playing in person, it's a lot easier to keep track of your little pieces because you can't really hide them. Like I, I, I saw David doing it. I was doing it all the time. Like on my Harper's card, I didn't want you guys to see how many black pieces I had. So I was like putting them in the shadows of my Harper's card, oh, hoping bastard. that you guys couldn't see them all while you know I had them like piled up. <laughs> you know, it's but, like impossible to see those. Well, that that's the thing, right? And like, I, I noticed because at one point, one of your hands, I think it was Owen, was like counting my pieces because he was trying to determine who he was going to take pieces from. I was like, oh, fuck, he saw the pieces. Like, damn, I'm, I'm ruined. Um, but it's easier to kind of keep an eye on like table mannerisms. Um, when mm-hmm. we did the showcase for Betrayal, we knew what Redacted was up to because we saw her mouse piece Oh, counting around counting oh, yeah. the tiles yeah. whereas here okay like if you're actively trying to like go over owen stuff okay you can see what quests he has on the go but that's open information to anybody anyways you could stand up and look at that that's not something that's hidden mm-hmm. so it's it's the, those mannerisms that you watch like i find it easier to kind of track people in person versus oh, you, you can like on watch the computer because on the computer you're just like Okay, well, and this is the biggest reason why I thought David was up to something the entire time. Because I couldn't figure out what he was doing. I just saw him like accumulating pieces, but he didn't really have a lot of quests remaining. So we just saw his like wizards growing and his fighters growing, but we didn't really see what was going on. So I I respectfully disagree. I think it's easier to play that kind of game or that track that kind of game in person. Interesting. Now we now we kind of know. Well, I mean, I mean, like it's easier to see what people's quest cards are on a digital version of the game because you can go and like just read the card instead of having to lean over the table. Especially if you know, like when we were playing at your place, you know, you were sitting on the the far end of the table. I couldn't just go and stand up and lean over and start seeing what what quests you had, right? But, um. I guess with the color scheme of some of the, the the player boards and stuff like that on tabletop simulator, yeah, like some of the the like the black cubes get hidden in the artwork. Um, but there's a there's a, an expansion for Lords of Waterdeep as well. Um, we haven't played that one with Sean. Um, I don't think I've only played it once. I, I own it, but I think yeah, I've only broken it out once or twice. So there's uh, an expansion that came out uh, in 2013 called uh, Scoundrels of Skullport. And this is kind of like a two-parter. Uh, it's it's essentially two separate expansions in one uh, tight package. Um, Scoundrels of Skullport, this is the official description, adds new content to Lords of Waterdeep. It is not one, but two complete expansions. The Sprawling Dungeon of Undermountain and the Criminal Haven of Skullport. Uh, 
Each thrilling location has unique characteristics and offers new play options, including new lords, buildings, intrigue, and quest cards. Um, so Undermountain is one of the modules. It's a vast and multi-level dungeon beneath Mount Waterdeep that once served the crazed wizard Halaster as a site for magical experiments. It is now a labyrinth maze with few refugees for wary adventurers. Um, the rumored wealth of Undermountain entices adventurers to brave the myster- mysteries and monsters beneath the city of splendors. The risk and rewards are greater for undertaking quests and that require more gold and adventure. So Undermountain uh, uh, essentially is just, yeah, like lots of uh, more locations for your agents to go to um, with quests that give you bigger rewards. That's essentially what it yeah. is. I think um, they get up to 40. You can get 40 victory points for completing an Undermountain quest. Yeah, there's some pretty crazy, Damn, uh, pretty crazy ones dirty. there. Yeah, can you imagine getting that swing? Just 40 victory points. Even like yeah. when someone throws down a 25, you're like, well, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then the other module is Skullport, also known as the Port of Shadow. Ooh. Uh, it is nestled under the heart of Undermountain, deep below the streets of Waterdeep. It is a haven for nefarious crimes, unhanded deals, and back alley murders. Those who visit Skullport do so at their own peril, for around every corner are new ways to make people disappear. <laughs> so uh, the skull, I would say Skullport adds a. A, a totally new mechanic uh, that is different. That, like Undermountain just adds more locations and gives you bigger rewards for completing some of those quests, whereas Skullport adds uh, corruption into the mix. So um, having corruption in your tavern actually is a penalty. So you, you get a you get penalized at the end of the game for how much corruption you have. Um, so each one is worth negative victory points. Um, and so the value of this is an interesting mechanic. So the value of victory points that is subtracted is dependent on how much corruption has been collected throughout the game in its entirety. Oh, so it's not how much you have specifically, it's how much everyone has. So at the end of the game, we'll just say like if each one is worth one, like minus one victory point for sake of argument, if each person has three and you're playing with uh, three people, that's nine victory points that each one is uh, subtracting off of for each one of those tokens, right? So for each one of those, if they're each worth nine, you know, then you're subtracting 27 victory points at the end of the game. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting mechanic because sure you're screwing, you can be screwing over other people, but then also you're screwing over yourself. So this adds some new uh, quest cards and stuff like that, that actually give you corruption. Um, But then there's also mechanics, some quests and stuff like that will let you get rid of those corruption tokens. Yeah, it's kind of like a push your luck mechanic where like, you know, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so you're you're gaining corruption which uh, you know, you can use as a resource, but guess what at the end of the game you might and it might end up biting in the butt. You yeah, know, I think it's butt. a it's a really cool uh expansion to add and the nice thing about the Scoundrels of Skullport that expansion is that because both of the modules are separate, 
you don't have to incorporate them both. So right. I, I think the corruption module uh, or the skull port module, sorry, adds can add some more confusion to the game itself because it is a more, I'd say, detailed mechanic compared to everything else in the game, right? It's um, nice that you can add that later, right? You can do yeah, a, few, exactly. like, a few games with the base and say, all right, you're comfortable, cool. We want to want to try this, and they'll already have a, like a foothold on the game enough to be like, yeah, sure, like this is mm-hmm. no big deal. Like we can add this and it'll be fine. Yeah. So then, you know, you can play with the Undermountain module, get some more quests and stuff like that, and then and then slowly add in Skullport on there. Um, no, we should uh, we should do a game with uh, the Skullport expansion next time we play. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, I yeah. actually have a question from one of our listeners, if you guys are interested. Oh, very interested. Um, one of our listeners has asked, if you could change one mechanic about the current Lords of Waterdeep game, what would you change and why? Ooh, I got this because I've, I've thought this for a while. I think I've mentioned it a few times that I would love to see there be a penalty for com- um, quests that you didn't complete. Say like, you know, I've had it where I've had like three or four or five um, quests that I didn't complete. And... Um, say for each one I didn't complete, I lose two victory points or three victory points. I think that would be mm. neat. It, it would, it would um, discourage people from just like nabbing victory point or, or quest cards. They didn't think they were going to be able to finish. Mm-hmm. I think that'd the, be kind of cool. The counterpoint to that would be, there's no real benefit to picking up quest cards, but there is also some intrigue cards that force you to pick up quest cards. So it's like, like, are you hoarding them for the the sake of hoarding them? Or like, are you being handed one because you have no choice? Well, like if you just say like it's mid game and you have a stack of different quest cards. Like you had. Like I had. And then it just gives you more options. It could be like, okay, now I could do this or I could do, do this, or do this, right? It gives you some choice. Um different strategies you could you could start to work on like say it's you're blocking me from one i could be like okay well i can try to complete this other quest you know uh so that's kind of like where when why i hoard quest uh, quest cards but like if there was a mechanic at the end of the game that was like if you have too many of these you're gonna lose a few points not a lot of points just a few just to kind of be like uh maybe fine-tune your game a bit more so you're, you're actually like picking ones that you think you're gonna mm-hmm. actually finish I see. I I like the game as it is. Um, I think my biggest my biggest issue with the game, which I I think could have a mechanic changed, would be having the ability to get the ambassador. And there's another one. Um, there's another like extra token or extra agent that you can acquire. Uh, essentially, the ambassador and this other one—they're—they're they're just generically plain-colored agents, and you can acquire them by getting a specific intrigue card or building a specific building. And I would say, ninety percent of the time, they don't come into play because there's too You're many right. buildings. Yeah, there's too many buildings, don't. and there's a lot of intrigue cards that you don't cycle through all of them. Um, 
in in the course of a, a single game. Maybe, maybe if you play this game with uh, like the f- five players, like the maximum player count. Um, but there's not enough spots to build buildings to go through the entire building deck. Um, so it's one of those things that can really change how you play the game. And I think if there was some sort of mechanic that incorporated the ambassador in earlier on, but then also allowed him to change hands uh, easier, I, I think maybe, you know, like there's, there's a location that someone can go to get the first player marker. Um, maybe, you know, if you go to the, the first player location, you also get the ambassador for one right? round for, for that round, yeah. right? like, or until someone takes it from you, or maybe right? for so like they, the next round. Right. So oh, then, right. You know, that could change how people are because for the longest time in, in the game, you know, unless you really want to get something right away, there's no real need to go to the first player location other than the fact that you get an intrigue card. Um, so it might incentivize people to get that first player token just to be able to get that extra action. But then also it would randomize the turn order more regularly, I think. Yeah, everybody would be battling for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, yeah, I can see that well, for sure. What we should you? try to like we should try to like house rule that. Yeah, maybe. What about you, Sean? Um, so thinking about both of what you guys were saying, I, I think I would like to see a modifier where you start with four agents right away. But I understand that the game needs to progress in order for more spaces to be filled. But you could do it. I I don't know how you'd be able to to create a modifier unless you put four random buildings in play, and maybe you like the first person to land on said building gets to claim it for the first time just to really see what you could do with four agents and eight turns. Well, so the thing is, is the number of agents that you start off with is dependent on the number of players playing the game. No. And I, I understand that 100%, but like in a three player game, I feel as if you could do more with four. You could, but I then also, I, I feel like you would run out of, locations well that's and i why. guess that's why you would have to start off with four buildings or th- three or four buildings at the right. beginning but uh that's still i think that would also severely unless you were not playing with that stupid lord that got you bonus points for all <laughs> buildings. um yeah that, that could be interesting starting with with uh, an extra agent as well right right from the get-go it would it would make the rounds longer that's for sure it would also um your, the point total at the end of the game, like I think we would be getting close to probably 200 points at the end of the game. Like we would probably be able to get through the entire quest deck, so there's no quests left. Like Which I would think, be interesting. You would, yeah, it would make for a very big game. The um, which would be very cool. The mechanic from another game that made me think of it was Seven Wonders Duel. I think Seven Wonders does it as well, where you draft out the wonders. Um, based on like you do your opening draft where you throw the four cards down and at least in duel you take turns picking the wonders that you want to attempt to build so it would be kind of cool if there was like let's say four buildings in the first round 
and you could just like you drop your meeple on or your agent on one and then that's yours and after the fourth one is claimed or the third one is claimed in a three-player game the fourth one just gets discarded just as something different i mean you could house rule it just to make the game Mm -hmm. a little bit more unique and then it would really kind of force you to see like who's going to take one of these spots and if they do great if not do you discard two do you discard three because nobody took the bait who knows I don't know. I was I was yeah. trying to think of like other ways to make that part of the game exciting because buildings. It was only really the last two games I got into the the real estate game in Waterdeep. Um, I didn't re- I didn't really have buildings in the first two games I played. Yeah. So it's uh, actually, sorry that actually reminds me of Prelude for Terraforming Mars. Like they give you these Prelude cards that you essentially you draft, and then they give you these massive swings at the very beginning of the game. I feel like that's what you're like, you know, talking about with with dropping like having more adventures and these extra buildings out. Like that would make for such a just a wild game. I really want to try that. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, maybe we can make a, a house rules game and just kind of see what happens. Yeah, we should totally try these like house rules out. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, like uh, the the three men and a meeple mods. Um, final like question that. for you guys before we we wrap this thing up. If you could, obviously, Lords of Waterdeep is a Dungeons and Dragons genre game. If you well, could well, change not genre, it's a well, sorry, not Dungeons and Dragons universe. Universe. <laughs> did I actually say genre? You did. Great. Uh, just, just splendid. Um, if you could change the universe and make it something of your own, what universe would you pick and why? Uh, Lazy Town. I don't actually know what Lazy Town is, but I'll- <laughs> you, don't know, you don't know Lazy Town. You don't know no, Lazy Town. Come on, oh, you got to do some research. Yeah, so David's pick is Lazy Town. <laughs> That's on the record. I actually thought he would have been uh, Lazy Town. Oh, okay. obviously, obviously, it's Star Wars. I think. Um, Star Wars is just very thematic in itself, and I'm honestly surprised that this hasn't been re-imaged as Star so Wars. So I think the only reason it hasn't been re-imaged it could be like is Lords Star of Wars is because or something. F- yeah, I know because yeah, FFG Fantasy FFG Flight Games owns, owns the license to it. Star Wars, and like, yeah, there's no way they're going to give that up. They've had it forever. If um, I was so better like, at um, if I was better at Photoshop and graphic design, I would probably just design my own version and get that printed. You know, there's yeah. probably somebody out there with too much time on their hands who would just make it if you just put it out in the world. <laughs> Maybe just put a post up on Board Game Geek and be like, "Hey, can someone make this?" And and you know what? In a few weeks, someone probably will have. <laughs> uh, I think Star Wars would be a, a great theme. Um, I was actually thinking about that earlier and like, I think, yeah, we think we were talking about it before and you said like, you could do like Tatooine at one of the spaceports. Um, I think that'd be really cool. The only thing I could see is trying to find the different factions. I know they're out there. You could probably make different factions that, you know, you got to go out and you got to get, you got to. Oh yeah. There's a ton. There's like different uh, crime Lords. Yeah. Um, You know, you could be like Imperial leader, like Thrawn, Grand Moff Tarkin or something like that. It could be smugglers. So, yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff. The yeah. only adjustment I'd make to David's Star Wars request, and this is just because I'm watching it again, but I would I would set it in the timeline of Clone Wars. 
There's so mm. much going on. You could definitely like you could get battle droids. You can get um, troopers. You can get a bunch of stuff. But you could also keep it in that like one universe, and the art style would be in- incredibly cool. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I was like picturing it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is such a great idea. So if yeah, if anybody is good at Photoshop. <laughs> Yeah, hit Please me up. Make this. <laughs> and I think I was thinking. I said earlier that, uh, or I was thinking about. Um, I think Lord of the Rings would be cool. I know it's in the same wheelhouse where it's fantasy, but I don't know, like different artwork and. Uh, I don't know. I just I think you could really um, match the theme and make it a very thematic feeling game. Same with Lords of Waterdeep. It's an extremely thematic game. It has lots of flavor text and great artwork. Uh, so I think they could also do that with like a Lord of the Rings theme. For sure. I was in between two that I wanted to propose to you guys. The the low-hanging fruit would have been Harry Potter because I think that could be, that would be something that would sell so incredibly fast. Yeah. It, it would be mind-blowing. Of, oh, a lot yeah. of people with bad taste that would buy that one. So, But it would be incredibly popular. <laughs> no, I think the, I would buy that one. The other yeah, one I was would. thinking, which might actually be enticing because of the style of game, would be like 1930s New York. Like just oh, that. Yeah. Like like mobsters and cops and stuff like that. Yeah, like just very like grungy. Oh, like gangster mobby kind of style or Yeah, like instead of the 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 tavern you're going to the speakeasy. Stuff like Ooh, that. Oh, very cool. Prohibition rules. Cool. That's your that's your first expansion, prohibition. Well, it- you know what? Funny thing about worker placement games, there's no copyright on the mechanic of a worker placement game. So you could go out and you could recreate this game, not like recreate it like, you know, part for part, but you can make your own version of a worker placement game with that theme because nobody else has made that yet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there you go. I, I like that idea. I, I really like yeah. the, the 19, you know, whatever New York feel. Yeah, yeah, I was I was kind of thinking like The Departed, but I can't remember what year that was kind of like around. Or I guess The Departed wasn't was really supposed- like uh, Gangs of New York, the actual movie Gangs of New York. Why Leo, you know, that guy's just in everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, that's kind of what where I was thinking. Uh, David, you got any the, other uh, thoughts before we uh, we wrap this, so this mother up? If anyone uh, is interested in playing Lords of Waterdeep, but you don't have the friends to play it with or you can't find it or whatever uh you can buy a digital version of it and it's actually very i don't know accurate translation to the board game so you can buy it on ios android and i believe it's on steam as well um and it comes with the base game you can play against bots you can play against people online it's actually one of my most played games on my tablet because it's just so easy to play pick up and play and um yeah there's that um but i think that's everything for this episode cool wow very cool we have some uh we have a lot coming a lot planned for the future though but uh our next episode in two weeks times um it's actually dedicated to all of our listeners going back to school are you sure that's that All episode? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about uh, dorm games. So games to play when you're living away from home 
You're trying to make some friends in your tiny dorm rooms. Uh, so we're just going to talk about some good games to pick up and play at parties and just when you're just trying to hang out with your friends. Nothing too crazy, nothing too intense. Um, and don't worry, Cards Against Humanity is not going to be on that list. Oh, I was going to say, like, nobody <laughs> will look like at you the... weird when you pull out your bigger, blacker box. Yeah, no. We yeah, probably that's the one card game humanity. that you, you, it's like, I think that's like, it's an icebreaker. Have. We'll talk I think about that. One, that. I think yeah, that we'll one talk comes about with, that later. Yeah, I think that one comes with your rent. So, anyways, yeah, uh, it just that's comes it. in the dorm room. Yeah, great. Yeah, all, so all that's the cards everything. unsleeved and crinkled. Owen's oh, nightmare. God, no. Oh no, not again. All right. <sighs> well, that is it for this episode of Three Men and a Meeple. Obviously, please comment on our Instagram if you like what you're listening to. Awesome. Check out our YouTube. We definitely have. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep gameplay launching it would have actually launched with this episode. So you're already missing out. Yeah, and you're go already watch behind. it right now. Yeah, go <laughs> watch it. me beat down these guys because that's not actually what happened. It was a, a very tight race at the very end, and we hope you enjoy it. But for myself, David, yo, and our return to glory, good friend Owen. Over David Yay. and that already. That only took an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> I just, I just like I'm him back, a lot. baby. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll play with you on our next game.